Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather in the praise of Almighty God through liturgy, music, and homily in Boston at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, in New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your written and emailed responses, your support, material, and spiritual, your self-selection for forms of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship come Sunday. This Reformation Sunday, our preaching, our repentance, and our hope are cast in the mode of remembrance, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, and as our one poet, Frost, did write, when to the heart of man was it ever less than a treason to go with the drift of things, to yield with a grace to reason, to bow and accept the end of a love or a season. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As the poet Hayden Carruth did write, our awareness, our intelligence, our existence begins in the experience of regret. The religious perspective has to offer to our time lament, compunction, repentance, and regret. In that spirit, let us bow in silent confession. Beloved, hear the good news in Wesley's word. We, well, we worship a pardoning God. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak not to please mortals, but to please God, who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals. 
whether from you or from others. Like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children, so deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The word of the Lord.
Let us pray responsively verses from Psalm 90 with the antiphon. have been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Turn, O God, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of God, our God, be upon us, and prosper for us the work of our hands. Oh, prosper the work of our hands. And now, people of God, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. 
Glory to you, O Lord. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. I am holding in my hand, in the mind's eye, a photograph from 1954. It's an old Kodak 
black and white. You remember the days of you press the shutter, we do the rest. There is a tall man in a black coat and horn-rimmed glasses with a shock of bright white hair holding a newborn baby boy in the autumn of 1954. The white-haired man is Alan Knight Chalmers. His story in a moment. Where do sermons come from? Of course, certainly they come from careful interpretation of the Holy Scripture. Surely they come from daily struggle, prayerful immersion in the intersection of Christ and culture, Commonwealth Avenue and our Commonwealth that is in heaven. Often they come out of dialogues and discussions. A sermon only looks like a monologue. It is many dialogues woven together. Occasionally, a sermon will come from a personal moment or a public event, and once in a while, a sermon will be ignited by a friend's phrase. Where do words, where does imagination come from? Why two weeks ago did I use the adjective erstwhile? How does the scientist solve his problem by turning his experiment upside down? Where did she find that precious, perfect anecdote to tell, to salve, bring a balm to a wound? Where do sermons come from? My friend visited me just two weeks ago, and in the course of a discussion of the years 1965 to 1972, she said, and the match lit the sermon, how sad for those who lack access to their own best past. What a tragedy to lack access to your own best past. And in a word, she set the table of the sermon. She put out the linen and the fine china. She arranged the table and cooked the meat and potatoes and pr provided the beverage and set the scripture and tradition, reason and experience before us for Reformation Sunday because hell is lacking access to your own best past and heaven is gaining access to your own best past. That's why Sunday comes around once every seven days, that we may immerse ourselves in our own best past. In 30 years of pastoral ministry, we have seen women and men and groups who lose their way through migration, through the changes that come with job loss, through divorce and other separations in friendship, through the changes that are inevitable and uncontrollable. And suddenly, the saving past is just outside of earshot. In 30 years of pastoral ministry, we have seen women and men and groups discover the saving access to the best in their past, in prayer, in dreams, in reading, in reflection. Come Sunday, isn't that what happened to Martin Luther? After all those dark years in the catacombs, he connected again with the Psalms and taught them, and the epistles of Paul and taught them, and the writings of Augustine and taught them, and 
Sola fide, sola gratia, sola scriptura. I might want to leave the sola, but the rest are fine. He developed, he grew, he found grace, which comes in access to your best past, and freedom, which comes in access to your own best past. Ellen Knight Chalmers was born in 1897 in Cleveland, Ohio, was graduated from Johns Hopkins and in 1922 from the Yale Divinity School. He served as the senior minister of the Broadway Tabernacle, a major church in Manhattan, until 1947 when he came to teach here at Boston University in the School of Theology. He taught something they then called applied Christianity and homiletics, preaching. But he is remembered, if at all, and it's only slightly today, as one of the very first social activists, leaders and laborers in the civil rights movement. In 1931, nine African-American teenagers were unfairly, unjustly convicted of a crime in Alabama and sentenced to death. And Chalmers, as the, as the treasurer of the NAACP and president of its Legal Defense Fund, over the next two decades and more, worked to free them one by one until, at last, all were set free. He embodies for us your best past in preaching, in change, and in a common hope. He is remembered here in the School of Theology in all of those ways. We couldn't have encountered him at a better point in our lectionary cycle. Did you listen to the scripture read earlier, the Gospel of Matthew? Another day, and there will come another day, we may explore the differences between Matthew and Mark. We may bore down into the Greek sentences as they are there presented. We may find a way to describe the life of the early church which presented these verses. But you know, Matthew, after chapter 17, Matthew, the gospel becomes darker and darker and darker. Twilight leads to full dark. And yet here in Matthew 22, there is a moment, happy moment, of illumination in which the teaching of Jesus is remembered. And what is that? It is a summary of life, of religion, and of faith. Now the rabbis then and at other times tried to summarize the 613 Levitical teachings, the laws. Maybe you remember Micah ben Imla, who boiled them down to three, let justice, excuse me, what does the Lord require of you but to love justice and walk humbly with your God. There are other summaries as well. Jesus gives his two here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to miss the forest for the trees. All of life is found here, directly, in this universal, broad, magnanimous, liberal, free, gracious, embracing good news. The river of love will ever surmount the banks of law. The river of love will ever surmount the banks of religion. The river of love over time will ever surmount the petty narcissism of small differences in which we tend to major 
at our less than best selves. Love of God and love of neighbor, they are love together. Let me tell you about Alan Chalmers in three ways. First of all, he was a preacher par excellence. His text, the text today, resembles and embodies his own body of work. Those from the classes of the 1950s remember him as a teacher who required a B to pass his course. If you got lower than a B, you took it again. He required interstitials. By that, he meant midweek you wrote a reflection on some event, memory, passage, or text. And he memorably charged his students to read a book a day over the course of a whole ministry. And that admonition, as difficult as it is, is utterly memorable. My parents heard him speak about the Scottsboro Boys in 1950 in the old Oneida, New York church, where in 1968, at the age of 13 later, I was confirmed. He paced the platform. He kicked the pulpit. I don't know in what, what that was an aid of, but he did and is so remembered. He marked off in steps the size of the cells in which the Scottsboro Boys were held, and my parents, who were heading to Drew, made a choice that evening to come to Boston University. Always a good choice, Boston over Drew, and the rest is history. They knew him for three long, fruitful years. He preached, and in his books you can read, among others, this choice, sentiment, and insight. Words are so difficult to use. Where do sermons come from? He wrote, but as you're speaking, and as you're listening, try always to hear and say a word that reveals truth rather than that causes hurt. In remembering Chalmers and people like him, we gain access to words fitly spoken, to kerygma, to preaching, and so gain access to our own best past. You know, the other day I went to the Gottlieb Library, just over here, just a few paces. You can go in the first level and see a photograph, by the way, in the civil rights section of Chalmers with Thurgood Marshall and others. Chalmers who taught King and others in the 50s and 60s. They let me into the archives, so I happily entered. They asked for a photo ID and I showed it. They made me sign some papers. I'm not sure what I gave away. They, they caused me to put on white gloves, and there I sat while three magnificent folders were brought forward. Correspondence in one between a student and teacher, Martin King and Alan Chalmers. Records in another of the 60s civil rights movement and the NAACP and its work. And then third, an, an essay, a collection of unpublished essays of Chalmers looking back from near the point of his death in 1970. You would love to read them. Go find your way and gain access with some white gloves. There you'll find a letter from a 10-year-old boy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, writing Dr. Chalmers. Here's an early Christmas gift. It's from my mother's checkbook. I don't have a check checkbook. I'm only 10 years old, but I'm giving this to you that we all might be free. Here is Chalmers writing a cautionary letter to Martin Luther King and saying you need to find time, this is January of 1961, to rest and retreat, Chalmers wrote. A man grows thin when he does not read, inaccurate when he does not write, 
and loses profoundness when he does not think. Read, write, think. And then later, a broadcast letter from the Legal Defense Fund about 260 freedom riders who are imprisoned in southern Mississippi, writes Chalmers, their only crime, to have trusted the law of the land. And so, four months in prison, $200 fines, and the, the potential of a permanent criminal record for the rest of their lives. Will you send me some support to provide them legal defense? And last but not least, looking back now in the early 1970s at, at what has happened from 1962 to 1972, and you can sense him scratching his head and worried and pondering and saying, the, the silent generation slogged, the violent generation slugs, but we have yet to find a full complement of leaders who combine intelligence and selflessness. So few lack historical perspective and creative imagination. We are caught, he wrote, between icons and iconoclasts, and at the, at the very end, in full block letters, nonetheless, separate is never equal. I thought of him just a few days ago when we listened to Colin Powell in his own transformative few moments. Now, others picked up on various other bits of his statement. One that went uncommented upon was this. Didn't it jar you? He said, one-third of teenagers in the United States of America do not graduate from high school. You can make that 50% for teenagers of color. Somewhere 40 years ago, we lost our way. We went into a wilderness of difference and division and particularity and lost Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. The rest is dross. We find access to our own best past in remembering Chalmers, not only in preaching, but as one among others and many who believed that real change can occur over time in the real lives and existential condition of the neighbor as well as the self. There were a few more hours in that day, so I went downstairs and looked at his books of sermons, a constant fire, a candle in the wind, as he passed by. Oh, the rhetoric is dated, no doubt. But the content? This is October 26, 2008. The content is as true and real as it possibly could be. There's a sea change coming in the history of this country. A change to open, wide, universal, broad, free, gracious, loving, common hope. We find access to that best past by remembering Chalmers and others like him. To remember him is to remember that our differences 
are not our definition. To remember him is to remember that we are measured by the good we do with the least and the last and the lost. To remember him is to remember that hope to be real is shared hope, common hope, common faith, common ground. It is to remember that in the balance of liberty and justice, and there needs to be a balance, we must do so in a way that those who have much might not have too much. This is in the Bible, by the way. Those who have little might not have too little. There's a change coming across this land. You can feel it. It's coming like the glory of the morning on the wave. It is wisdom to the mighty, and it is honor to the brave. To remember, Chalmers, I'm speaking to the preachers here, is to remember that interpreting the Christian tradition with regard to war and peace gives only two options, vanilla or chocolate, the pacifism of Chalmers and others, or the realism of Niebuhr and others. And in the realism is a just war theory that excludes at its root warfare that is preemptive, unilateral, imperial, unforeseeable, immoral, reckless, post-Judeo-Christian, and wrong. To remember Chalmers is to remember that a passion for justice does not come in just one shade, just one color, just one hue. To remember is to remember that love of God and love of neighbor are loved together. To remember him and others like him is to remember that Holy Scripture is holy but errant. That the tradition of the church at its best affirms equality. That the mind, the reason, accepts evolution and that experience counts. That you will live your Christian life, you tithers, you faithful partners, you worshipers Sunday by Sunday, in the shadow of errancy, of equality, of evolution, and of experience to remember him is to remember that we are judged as churches by the kind of people we produce and our society is judged by how those at the dawn of life the twilight of life and the shadows of life do fare to remember him is to remember that though we traipse commonwealth avenue <laughs> our commonwealth is in heaven After graduating from seminary, I, because I was told to, went a couple of years to continuing education programs. They were, in a word, dismal. So for 20 years, I went not ever again until 1999, when by grace, I found myself in the beautiful, well-resourced confines of Princeton Seminary. And there, one evening, I heard a sermon by a diminutive African-American graduate of Boston University. He was the dean of a venerable chapel, Howard University Chapel, and his name, Edgar Evans Crawford. I'd never met him. He began to preach on the Psalms. He was like a, a spiral in motion. He moved, he wove, he scampered. He, his stealth and his beauty drew me in. He had me in the palm of his hand. And then he said... I don't know why I'm moved to do this. No one in this room will know who I'm talking about, but you need to know the name of 
Alan Knight Chalmers, born in 1897 in Cleveland, graduated from Johns Hopkins. He gave the whole name and the whole narrative. And friends, like any friend does do, he gave me back my name and my life. Because after seminary in the, late in the early 50s, my parents went back home and they had a son, a firstborn son, born in the year 1954, whose middle name they gave as Allen, A-L-L-A-N, in memory of Dr. Chalmers. I'm holding a photograph. It's of a black-coated, white-haired, horn-rimmed glasses man who holds a newborn child who holds me. He holds me still. Now is the time of our service to offer our prayers to God. You may sit, stand, kneel, or come to the altar rail as according to your tradition. And now please join me in singing, Lead Me, Lord. Let us pray for the church and the world. I will conclude each prayer with merciful God. Please respond with, hear our prayer. We pray for the church, universal, ecumenical councils, churches throughout our country and abroad, and their leaders, and for us here on Commonwealth Avenue at Marsh Chapel. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We pray for the nations and all those who are in authority especially now just days away from the election of a new president in our country. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We pray for justice and peace in all the world in the midst of war, poverty, and selfishness. Merciful God, hear our prayer. 
We pray for the health of those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit, that you may bring comfort. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We pray for the needs of families, single people, and the lonely. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We pray for reconciliation with adversaries so that we may example your love. Merciful God, hear our prayer. And we pray for all who are oppressed or in prison. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We pray for our local community in Boston and all other communities that your healing and gracious spirit would shine in the dark places. Merciful God, hear our prayer. And now, we join together in saying the prayer that your Son has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We bring you a few announcements this week. First, on Tuesday evening, October 28th at 7 p.m. in Morse Auditorium, Boston University Professor Emeritus Peter Burgo will be giving the 2008 State of Religion Report, catching us up on what's going on with religion all over the world, all in one hour. Please join us as you are able. More information is available on the Marsh Chapel website. Next Sunday, Sunday, November 2nd, here at Marsh Chapel is All Saints Sunday, and the Marsh Chapel Choir will be performing Herbert Howell's Requiem during the service. We hope you will join us for that. We invite you to fill out the Ritual of Friendship, otherwise known as the Red Book at the end of your pew, to let us know who you are and get, allow us to get to know one another better. We hope you'll fill it out each week that you are with us. 
Especially for our radio and internet congregation, we would remind you that online giving is now available here at Marsh Chapel. Click the stewardship link on the top right of the Marsh Chapel website. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Lord, all that we have comes from you. May these gifts of thanks be used with love and your service. Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forevermore in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. <laughs> 